This is the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cone Franz. If you would like to support and be part of our community, you can start by visiting zennovascotia.com. When I first encountered the precepts, I thought the last five were a little strange. Not strange. The first five seemed clear. You know, they, they cover a lot of territory. And then suddenly the second five seemed awfully specific. I thought, what is this about? And in particular, it was the seventh. Not praising yourself while blaming others. For every rule in the old monastic rules, there, there's some story that describes some monk who made trouble. And so they made a rule around that guy because that guy kept doing that thing. And when you hear this precept, it's easy to imagine that there was this one guy who was always taking the credit and saying, everybody else is screwing up. You know, or I, I'm the one who saved the day. Well, that's how I originally heard it. It's not that we don't know these people. It's not that we've never been these people. But when we pair them like that, when we make it sound like a single activity, it can sound like something that's not very pressing. You think, well, I can do that. But if we break it in two, suddenly it becomes much more broad. We get two parts. The first part is, don't take the credit. And the second is, don't blame everybody else. You don't have to imagine it as a set. But you can ask yourself, do I do one of these two? Yes. Why? Out of a fundamental delusion about who we are and where we stand in relationship to other people. Like everything we've talked about so far in this list, it's not simply that it's bad behavior. You know, it's not simply rude. It's that it's wrong. And not wrong in the moral sense of being wrong. It's wrong in the sense that it's mistaken. It's based on a false premise. If I put myself at the center of the story, if I'm the protagonist then everyone around me becomes either a secondary character or, more interestingly, an antagonist. That becomes the breakdown. There we arrive at this precept. And yet, if we understand 
the idea of interdependence, if we understand the idea of no-self, that we are not independently existing, then we understand that the idea of credit or blame is far too simple to be acceptable or skillful or kind. Let's imagine for a moment that I took a good, that I chose a good path in my life by choosing these robes. Who gets credit? Do I get the credit? Do I get the blame? Depends on how we think about it. Do my parents get the credit? Is it my hometown? Is it my teachers? Is it my friends? Is it the food that I eat? Is it the ground that I walk on? Is it the miracle of DNA? Is it a brochure that I saw when I was 17 years old that showed me a picture of a monk and I thought that was so cool? and it burned itself into my mind? Does that university get the credit? Or the blame? We love to tell a story that chooses. We love to tell a story in which someone is is traceably responsible for the whole thing, whether we think that's good or bad. We have saviors and we have villains. This doesn't have to be about you. It's about that story. And just to be perfectly clear, it's about the opposite of the story as well. Some of us never give ourselves any credit. Some of us only take blame for everything. We won't let anyone else have any. That's no different. This precept, it's, it's, it's subtle in the sense that we're talking about something that's happening in your mind. On the most basic level, if I say, do not kill, we understand that there's an action. There's an actor, there's a subject, there's an object. Do not lie, do not steal, do not misuse sex. Even with intoxicants, there's some, there's some other character 
in the story that you have to touch. Something has to go in. When we say don't speak ill of others, we're talking about speech. We're talking about something that can be heard, something that can be felt. But here, we move into a zone that's really just about delusion and the prisons that we create by insisting that we're separate from others. I don't want to say, I don't want to give the wrong impression that this is just about you in the sense that, that it's purely mental. I was reminded the other day of a, a, a wonderful quotation by uh, Suzuki Roshi who said, uh, I don't know the context, but he, he said, enlightenment is not a state of mind. Nothing about this practice is about the state of mind. Never just. It's never just about how you feel. It's never just about how you see. It's about what comes from that. How can I be generous if I'm convinced that someone is separate from me? How can I be kind? How can I hear another person's suffering and understand it as being the same as my own if I'm convinced that that person is over there and I'm over here? How can I taste something? If I don't see how many hands went into delivering it to me. Imagine someone walking down the street with a blindfold on. It's a great experiment if you're the person with the blindfold. But it causes no end of trouble for the people around you. Everyone has to get out of your way. my most interesting stories are about regret and about guilt. I know that's not universal, but I don't think it's uncommon. These are the stories in my life that are juicy. (laughs) They're the ones where I screwed up. And what allows me to hold to them so tightly is the belief when I'm telling them to myself 
that I own all of it. And the second most interesting list of stories that I have have to do with being wronged by others. And those two are only powerful because I like to imagine that those people exist in a vacuum. They're not influenced by their parents and their friends and their teachers and their hometowns. They're not influenced by what they ate. They are pure, distinct actors in a universe that lets them cut straight through to me. Mm -hmm. And so I can have a story from from when I was 13 (laughs) that I can get into more than any movie. But in order to do that, just like with a movie, I have to turn the lights down. Right? I have to forget that there's an aisle and that there are seats. I have to forget that I'm in a movie theater and I have to see just this screen. I have to immerse myself in this narrow vision. We all do it. That's why, that's why the precept is there. It's like all the rest. If, if you go from morning until night without somehow encountering this precept, I don't know how you're alive. And so we remind ourselves, and so we ask ourselves, who am I really? Where do I stand really? What do I think is really going on? And I'll stop there. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.